After Sophia accidentally disposes of Rose's pills, everyone learns she's been addicted to prescription medication for 30 years. So it's time for the girls to band together and support their friend. Even though Sophia and Dorothy have a pizza commercial to shoot in the morning, they're happy to stay at Rose's side to get through the night. Their intentions are good, but will they help cure Rose's addiction? And will Dorothy and Sophia kickstart their acting career with their commercial? Will we learn more about the video equipment in Blanche's room? All of that and more in today's episode, High Anxiety. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. Oh, you're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come and go. High Anxiety is a Mel Brooks comedy from 1977, a parody of Hitchcock classics like Vertigo. The film had an accompanying song which my parents would often sing. Here, have a listen. High Anxiety, it's always the same. Anxiety, it's you that I blame. A fun little note here, this is episode 20 of season 4, or 420, and it's about anxiety and drugs. If only they were a plant-based medicine that could aid in the relief of such an ailment. Oh well, back to the show. It's a busy evening in the kitchen with Blanche, looking as yellow as the bloom on a Carolina jasmine, shimmering in the sunrise, bouncing off of the bulbous dew in her matching sweatshirt with a scenic print on the front of the sweatshirt. Blanche is grabbing some glasses, which are to be filled with the milkshake Dorothy, in one of her purple Beetlejuice smocks, is making in the never-before-seen blender. Awaiting the treat is Rose, who is sitting at the table in a blue dress. This must be the first time Blanche is seeing the blender, as she is surprised Dorothy is an expert malt maker. FYI, the difference between a malt and a milkshake is, well, malt. Malt is a processed grain that, when put into powder form, can be added to milkshakes and other treats to give it that toasty, caramely flavor. Coco, do you like malt? I love malts. I love milkshakes. I love a thick ice cream beverage. Fan theory here about the blender. Oh. They just purchased it. Oh. And they're giving it a whirl, so to speak. Breaking ha, it ha, in. Ha, 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 ha. Uh-huh, I see what <laughs> you did. Taking it Mixing out for a spin. Mixing it up. <laughs> <laughs> Blending. I like that theory. This reminds me of my grampy. He had an old-fashioned milkshake machine, the kind where you hold the tin and kind of put it up into the wand. And every time I visited him in Vegas, even if it was past my bedtime, he would make me a milkshake right then and there. And I really haven't had one as good since. Using her not often seen, but more so than the blender tone of la ti da Dorothy proudly reminds Blanche that she is great at making them because she worked at a malt shop back in the day. I mean, what's up with Jughead? Archie's got Betty, and you got Reggie with Veronica. 
I mean, what's up with Jagger? He got nobody. And mine, that's no excuse, because he's ugly. I mean, in my neighborhood, it didn't matter how ugly you were. You always had a girl. Uh, here it is. Come on, Archie, let's go to the mall shoppie. What the hell's a mall shoppie? They always talking about Benita. I do wish we still had these around. They're set up like a bar, and malt shops would really cater to the cool teens by serving malts, milkshakes, and soda from the fountain. Those malt shop or pharmacy employees who specialized in serving soda were called soda jerks. This was due to a few reasons. One, employees that served soda were called soda clerks, so you already had the always enjoyed rhyming aspect. But to make the drinks, the operator would jerk the handle towards them. This was not as easy as it is for someone at a movie theater or fast food place today. To be a soda jerk, you had to know the right combo of flavors to make each drink because what you pulled was carbonated water, hence the term soda jerk. Without phrasing it like a question, Blanche simply responds to Dorothy's information with soda jerk, as in, was your job being a soda jerk? As we all know, commas are important in helping you understand what's being expressed, and Rose decided to place a comma between those words, interpreting it as soda jerk? As though Blanche would just call her that out of the... Oh, yeah, she probably would. Rose isn't bothered by the perceived name-calling and passes on the soda. She's waiting for the ice cream treat. Exhausted, Blanche can't even begin to process that, so she just goes back to talking to Dorothy, asking her why she doesn't have a glass of malt now that they're passing them all out. Oh, for a very good reason. She's a blender slurper. Proudly holding up a straw, she sticks her face in the blender like it's a feed bag and gets to sucking. While Blanche is putting the ice cream away, she looks over her shoulder in disgust, which is of course the time Sophia, in a blue, purple, and red patterned dress and red cardigan, comes in from the garage-slash-backyard-slash-pantry door. Standing next to her daughter, she watches on as Dorothy goes full hoover on the malt. Ashamed, she hollers out to the universe, Any wonder why I didn't breastfeed her? Little plot whoopsie, as just a couple of episodes ago, we learned Sophia breastfed Dorothy for two years. But for the dramatic effect towards Dorothy's behavior, we'll let this one slide. Coming up for air, Dorothy gives her mother a look before asking how it is that she's entering the house when she thought she was in her room. Making another joke about escaping captivity, Sophia claims to have taken down the guards with the gun she carved out of soap. This joke is most likely in reference to, as Coco pointed out, the story of John Dillinger, the famous 20s and 30s gangster and outlaw who was rumored to have made an escape from prison using a gun he had carved out of soap. It was actually Harry Pete Pierpoint and Charlie Mackley, other gangsters, who were able to carve soap guns and they painted them with shoe polish. They did kind of make an escape out of the jail itself, but the guards opened fire and Charlie was killed and Harry was seriously injured. So I'm sorry, Coco, it's another John Dillinger falsehood. My God. <laughs> a Johnny Depp movie. He did have to me. a he did have a wooden gun. Oh, okay. So. Well, then. Vindicated. (laughs) Sophia had good reason for being gone. The local mini mall slash strip mall had opened a little slice of Sicily pizzeria. And as a former beachfront pizzeria and Kanish business owner, she needed to go check it out. While there, she got to talking with some guy. Eventually, she learned that he was the owner and he liked her so much, he wanted her to be the star of his next commercial for the pizza chain. Blanche is amazed at the opportunity. Rose is amazed Sophia found someone at a mini mall that spoke English. Oh boy. 
I don't even really know why that's a joke. Maybe in Miami there were a lot of like Cuban or other country-focused stores. Yeesh. As Dorothy looks at Rose with disappointment, she taps her red vine-looking straw in the blender, which, by the way, using a red vine as a straw is actually really good. Well, depending on what you're consuming. Cherry Pepsi? Cherry Coke? Delicious. One of the best drinks you'll ever have in your life. Milkshake? Not so much. And the red vine gets kind of frozen almost, and you yeah. can kind of bite it. It gets to, it's a, You get two different red vine experiences mm -hmm. just by adding soda. He loves it. He loves it. He's crazy for it. Yeah, it reminds me of being a, a young a youngster watching my father the hero with my dad. Oh, God. Being very uncomfortable. Yeah, he's my boyfriend. He's the boyfriend of that child? I like older men. It's disgusting. Hello. Hello yourself. Touchstone Pictures presents Gerard Depardieu. Promise not to yell. I promise? I told Ben you weren't my father. What did you tell him I was? I told him you were my lover. Are you out of your mind? And Catherine Heigl. You're old enough to be your father. The truth is cruel. Oh. My father, the hero. I promise you won't get mad. Why do I get so frightened every time you ask me that? I told him you were dying. I'm dying now? Assuming her mother is once again either being colorful, manipulative, untruthful, or all of the above, a very sassy Dorothy wants to know more details about this supposed commercial. Sophia spoke with the guy about some options before settling on filming in Blanche's kitchen. Immediately, Blanche is not too into the idea of a crew of people and their equipment just coming into her tiny little kitchen. The lights, the cameras, it's just too much. Always a helper, Rose tells her that a good compromise would be to just use all the same equipment that's already set up in her bedroom. Whoa, spicy. I was a little surprised that Blanche didn't get worked up thinking about everyone crammed into the kitchen like she's, oh yeah like she sometimes always does oh my gosh all of them those teamsters and the cameraman and the director giving gaffers me, tape and giving their... me their directions and telling me to when to stop and when to go and calling for action and all of those blue jean wearing sound guys with their lights overhead as it gets so hot you just can't take it anymore like that I was leaving room for a Blanche scream. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was just no time. They're, they have so much going on today, they can't be bothered with that. And I do love that this is pre-celebrity sex tape, so the idea of using home video equipment in your bedroom, oh my God. I would never do it. Don't do it, especially not with a physical videotape. Oh, yeah, or, no. I don't know, whatever else people use, an SD card. <laughs> don't put it on a card well, I don't think I'd rather them. have it on a tape than like digital. I, I mean, I, I just don't make. I would well, rather I just, just not have it. any yeah. of that. Yeah, I don't want it, and yeah. I don't want to watch it. I don't need, and to, see I don't that. need to see that. Mm -mm. I, I don't think I would like. I'd me. like to see it. That's why I watch other people. That's right. That's what. That's what that is. That's strangers. What that's for. If there are any strangers that want us to watch them do it, <laughs> Gmail us. Dorothy still doesn't believe her mother, so she tells Blanche to not even consider worrying about the crew as they're not real. Sophia can't even start defending herself before Rose interrupts and asks about a bottle of pills from the cabinet. Sophia asks back, Oh, are you looking for that little brown bottle of pills from Patton's Pharmacy, which was prescribed to Rose Nyland? As Rose goes towards Sophia in hopes of getting the exact pills she's describing, Sophia denies ever having seen them. With only the pressure of a single Dorothy, ma, Sophia confesses. 
Yesterday, as she was grabbing for her favorite slash least favorite spice, oregano, she accidentally bumped the bottle over, spilling the pills into the sink. She had simply forgotten to tell Rose about it. Rose is aghast, but she can wait until tomorrow to get another prescription, except she can't, as Blanche reminds her that it's a holiday. Since this episode aired in March and there aren't any holidays around that time, we'll just say this was President's Day or maybe Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Trying not to panic, Rose goes to her room to see if she can find the extras that she thinks she might have. As she's gone, Dorothy expresses her frustration towards her mother for not being more responsible when it came to telling Rose. Well, it's not like she did it on purpose. Her memory, along with things like the butt she had that was so tight a quarter would have bounced off of it, isn't what it used to be. Nowadays, her butt could hold a Krugerrand, or South African gold coin, inside of its folds. We fade out as Blanche and Dorothy uncomfortably process all of that. Looks like Sophia was telling the truth because there she sits on the couch in her multicolored plaid dress and teal cardigan with a man who is in jeans, a horizontal black and aqua striped shirt under his I'm in showbiz tan jacket. When Dorothy comes home, she's surprised to see the two. Sophia quickly and proudly introduces her to director Cy Ferber. Cy is being played by comedian and previously featured on this show, Jay Thomas. Getting his start on New York radio, he moved on to L.A., where he then started working in TV on shows like Mork and Mindy, Cheers, and Murphy Brown, for which he won two Emmys. Other appearances were on Love Boat, Chud, Spencer for Hire, Family Ties, Cheers, Freddy's Nightmares, Mr. Holland's Opus, Sybil, Fantasy Island, Law & Order SVU, Santa Claus 2 and 3, Bones, NCIS, and Ray Donovan. He also did a ton of voice work on shows like Goof Troop, Bobby's World, Batman, Duckman, Ah, Real Monsters, Hercules, Wild Thornberries, and American Dad. And the reason he's already been on this show before was due to his famous Lone Ranger story. So the Lone Ranger, Clayton Moore, I used to open these car dealerships, and he was working for the Dodge Company. I'm in Charlotte. He, he would do personal appearances. Personal appearances. Yeah, he would go around. And he wore this Carolina blue outfit, and he wore the mask and the hat, and he, and he took it very seriously. Six shooter. The six shooters. So my buddy Mike Martin, who's in the record business, came to visit me, and he says, look, while there's a bunch of hubbub around the Lone Ranger, we need to go out to the dumpster and get herbed up. I have an old Volvo, and I say, listen, um, I, you know, your car's not here. This is embarrassing. I'll, I'll take you back. So he says, fine. So now Mike and I are completely gone, and he is stoic in the back seat like this with the cowboy hat and the mask, <laughs> and all of a sudden, a middle-aged guy in a Buick backs into my car and breaks my headlight. So I begin to chase him with my Volvo, and finally we cut off the Buick, and the guy jumps out, and I said, hey, and I have, like, a white man's afro, and my buddy has long, long, you know, hippie hair. And so uh, I sa he says, what are you going to do? I said, we're going to call a cop. That's right. And so he says, really? You call a cop? Well, who do you think that cop is going to believe? You two hippie freaks or me? And the Lone Ranger gets out of the back of my body. <laughs> They'll believe me, citizen. <laughs> Cy is pleased to meet Dorothy, who is thankfully in a cooler outfit than usual, of sandals, jeans, a white t-shirt, and a brown with bright royal blue collar and sleeves jacket. And no, he's not excited so that he could flatter Sophia with a, I thought she was your sister line, but because it gave him an idea. How about instead of just one Petrillo woman, why not a mother-daughter duo? 
Not wanting to sound too interested, Dorothy is excited, but as a substitute teacher, she will have to check her availability. Calling her out, Sophia turns eye-rolling into a voice tone, telling Dorothy someone else can set up the driver's ed cones. Ouch. Mad at her mom, mostly for being correct, Dorothy gives it a second before happily signing on to be part of the ad. Coming home looking like a reverse Carmen Sandiego or the chief is Blanche in a red shirt and pants under a yellow jacket. And remember, our minds are strong, our spirits pure. When crime's the sickness, we're the cure. Just seconds after playing it cool, Dorothy giddily tells Blanche that she's agreed to be in the commercial. Blanche is not excited, though. If Dorothy will recall, she did not want people coming into the house. So Cy offers her $1,000 a day for a shooting fee. A day? Is this a Super Bowl ad? Is there a reason that this would take longer than, like, a handful of hours? With the money being offered, Blanche has changed her mind and would like to take Cy on a tour. I'm kind of surprised, like you said, Coco, with the crew, that Blanche didn't try to make a move on Cy. Well, she was annoyed. That's true. It's hard to be horny when you're annoyed. But in that moment, he was offering her money, and money does make her horny. Hmm. So I was a little surprised. But again, there's no time. We've got too much going on in this episode to worry with her trying to hook up with the director. Or maybe she learned her lesson after the actor. No more showbiz. You're a dirt bag. <laughs> going in to see the kitchen that he has already agreed to shoot in, sight unseen, Cy and the girls are greeted, sort of, with a frantic pink pantsuit and apron wearing Rose. Closing the oven door, she screams for everyone to leave. Worried something is wrong, Dorothy inquires, only to get the very rose answer of, because with the slightest sound, my girl cake will fall, or not rise properly, like a souffle. I hate when I can't get it up. <coughs> Even with the slightest noise being a concern, Rose opens the oven door, only to be devastated by her fallen cake. Shockingly, her response is aggressive and intense. Rose shouting, why, why, is a sight of her we've never seen. Slamming her hand on the stove, there are some loud, nervous chuckles from the audience. Shocked, Blanche asks Rose to calm down, telling her another cake can be made. Not great at sensing red flags or social expectations, Cy gets right to work, setting the scene for filming. In another move that is way out of character, Rose approaches Cy, does not introduce herself or even offer him a clown cone, and she demands that he leaves the kitchen. Blanche is beside herself. She tells Rose that it's her house, so she will have whomever she wants in her kitchen. But as a renter, Rose says that she too has a say in who is around. Cy tries to calm the situation down, saying that he'll not be there long. What also won't be long is the time it will take for Rose to knock Cy to the ground. Holy sh! Rose, what the hell? Now even Cy is flustered, saying that if he wanted to be abused on set, he'd be working at Roseanne. At the time, the Roseanne show was huge, but behind the scenes, things were nasty. Roseanne was and has only become a bigger super mega dick, and things got worse when she invited her equally douchey husband, Tom Arnold, onto the set of the show. He became a producer, and even Roseanne later told Entertainment Weekly that he, quote, became extremely abusive to people. It was my fault for bringing him there. For example, the power couple would rewrite scripts, and they made their writers wear numbers and only refer to them as such. 
Roseanne, of all people, said that it was to keep the writers' egos in check. She sucks. Since the show, she has become MAGA trash. She is bigoted, among a lot of other awful things. I have never liked her for one single moment of my life, and she has been around for the entirety of it. For more examples, you can go to thelist.com and look for the most problematic things Roseanne Barr has ever done. Because of Rose's behavior, Cy is dropping the project, not only costing the Petrillos their fame, but Blanche her money. After Blanche blames her, Rose is defensive. Dorothy asking why she's behaving that way is the last straw, and we get two swears from Rose, a what the hell are you talking about, and a get off my damn back. I found it kind of funny that as Rose basically screams in the nastiest tone we've ever heard from her, slamming the kitchen door open, there are still giggles in the audience. I think it's that her behaviors are so out of the norm that no one really knows what to do with it. Is she joking? Is this a prank? I have to laugh because I'm scared. The following day, Dorothy, in a fuchsia sweater and light gray pants, is sitting with Blanche in black pants, a white tee, and a bright green blazer, and they're both on the couch. When Sophia, in a bright blue dress and matching cardigan, comes through the living room, she needs a time check. It's 9.30 a.m., according to Dorothy's watch. She needs the time because she's headed to an acting lesson. She wants to be great for the commercial. Dorothy's confused since, you know, there is no commercial. Ah, but Sophia got word she was rehired because the project is back on. Excited, Blanche asks about them coming to the house so she can get the money. Well, the good news is the commercial is still happening. The bad news is that Rose freaked Cy out so badly that they're going to shoot at a studio. Putting two and two together, Blanche realizes that this situation leaves her screwed with nothing to show for it. As everyone laughs at the joke they've concocted in their own minds like, what's new or isn't that a typical date for you or and, Sophia quips, well, welcome to show business. With that and the horn honking outside, she's off to her lesson, just as Rose, in cream pants and a cream sweater with pink flowers, hopefully roses, comes in to say goodbye. As she heads into the kitchen, she tells the girls how much she enjoyed meeting that director guy. This statement has their heads spinning. Needing to understand what she's talking about, the girls follow her. Dorothy starts with the helpful, Are you okay? And is surprised to receive a never better. Rose is surprised she's even asking. In a less helpful way, Blanche reminds her that she was acting crazy. Remembering a little bit of that, she apologizes for being on edge. Instead of saying, on edge, girl, you were way over it, Dorothy asks about the pill bottle that Rose is putting in the cabinet. And this one is far away from the sink. Oh, those pills were given to her when she hurt her back. You wouldn't know about it, Blanche, because it happened all the way back when she lived in St. Olaf. It was crop planting time, and sadly, Bessie, the usual plow tower, was too old and tired to continue. And no, Dorothy, Bessie wasn't just another mule. Bessie was a large woman who had been a full-time plow puller. Much like how she heard soda jerk, Rose is confused when Blanche suggests tractors. She meant as a replacement for the human Bessie. But Rose heard it as another towable option for Bessie to try. But how could she when plows were already hard enough? It was till in time and Rose volunteered as tribute. It didn't take her 17 years to be done with plows as she hurt her back right away. Since then, she's been on the pills. So let's see if it's Thursday in March and we subtract by the square root. And at that, she's been taking them for 30 years. 
Blanche and Dorothy are totally shocked at that number. There is no way that prescription was meant to be taken for as long as she's been taking them. Getting defensive, Rose reminds Dorothy that it's the doctor who is prescribing them in the first place, so it's not like he doesn't know. That's when Blanche rocks Rose's world by asking her if she has ever thought she might be dependent on the medication. Rose is offended at the idea, and to prove how not addicted she is, she offers to give them the bottle. Explaining that she's going to show them, Rose slams the bottle in Dorothy's hand before leaving the kitchen. Later that night, it's the sound of a shattering vase that has awoken the girls, who, in their pajama parade, have come into the kitchen, only to find Rose in the midst of cleaning up the porcelain pieces. Seeing all of the cabinets open, Dorothy asks what she's up to. Oh, you know, just some drug withdrawal-induced insomnia cabinet rearranging. Looking to Rose's hand, Blanche pulls a bottle of pills from her. She wasn't up rearranging. She was searching for the pills that Dorothy had hidden. Using her teacher voice, Dorothy demands Blanche destroy the pills, ignoring Rose's pleas. Hearing her desperation, Blanche asks her about that whole take-it-or-leave-it attitude that she had had the day before. Well, Rose still feels that way, and right now is a take-it moment. Blanche doesn't hesitate to call Rose out for her problem, something a real friend does when they are concerned about you. Rose is still in denial, not surprising for someone with an addiction, so she promises that she'll stop taking them, tomorrow. Having a seat at the table, she can't wait to show them how easy it will be for her to go without the meds. But she will need some tonight as it's the anniversary of the death of her cat Fluffy. This excuse does not work as Dorothy knows that she's never had cats on account of her allergies. Then what the hell was she holding in her arms when she met Blanche? Plot whoopsie. (laughs) Yeah, they really could have picked any other animal or any other reason. My hamster. You're allergic to hamsters. Well, we've seen her with dogs. Ant farm. You're allergic to my ant farm. There are just a lot of animals we have not seen her with specifically. Or that weren't major plot points because she had to get kicked out of her apartment, which is why they're there. So you would think they would be celebrating cats because it brought them together. They forgot. They forgot. (laughs) Caught in her inaccurate lie. Rose's lie, not Dorothy's made-up cat situation. Rose quickly remembers that it's actually the day of her brother Fluffy's death. As Dorothy bugs her about lying, Sophia defends Rose, reminding Dorothy that it's her first time lying, so it's not going to be any good. What's really going on is that Rose is too scared to stop. If she has an issue, it means that she has an addiction. Dorothy consoles her, reminding her that there are special places for people with this issue leaving Sophia wondering what Rose could do in the NBA or the National Basketball Association. This joke was in reference to the multiple cases of players being banned for life after testing positive, mostly for cocaine. Former Bulls player Charles Oakley, when speaking with Sportskedia.com, said when he, he being Michael Jordan, got in the league, it was bad. It was bad because you can get it so easy. Drugs was at an all-time high in the 80s and 90s. It was just like that. The drugs was just like, you can get it anywhere as long as you had the money. Sometimes credit was good, but I think once the league got a hold of it, they did a lot of smart things. It was just bad. These are our stars, and it was hard for kids to look up to some of these stars because there was so much bad press. Michael saw that for himself. I saw it, and he didn't want to follow in their footsteps. He went the other way. He did the right thing. The place Dorothy means is rehabilitation, which can help her get off of the pills. Just the idea of going to rehab has Rose frantic. It would be too embarrassing, too shameful. 
Dorothy's a little dismissive here, but corrects it by saying that it's a medical issue, which was very progressive vocabulary regarding drugs in the 80s. And she reminds her that famous people like Betty Ford and Liza Minnelli have all received the same help, and they were not ashamed. Although Sophia feels Liza should feel some shame, not for that, of course, but for the film Arthur II. Arthur II, On the Rocks, is a film that I was unaware of until this episode. Yes, it is a sequel to the hit 1981 film Arthur. Both Dudley Moore and Liza Minnelli were back together. A new arrival, Kathy Bates, helped the couple adopt a baby, because going the baby route is always a fun plot point. The film currently has a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, with a critic consensus of Arthur's boozy charm curdles into a bad hangover in this unnecessary sequel. Speaking of unnecessary, remember when Russell Brand was Arthur? Oh, I forgot about that. Yikes. I don't remember anything about it because I was really young, but isn't he just like an eccentric alcoholic? But he happens to be charming, so it's all okay. And he's really rich, I believe. But I don't, yeah, he's just constantly drunk. I don't get it. I have I was too young for Dudley Moore mm-hmm. when he was very popular. And I just have always had a no thank you, get him away from me feeling. Should he be having a baby if he has this serious drinking problem? He has a baby and it's alcohol. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that, and that's going to be the favorite child. Always and forever. Yes. Tough, tough road, Arthur. Here, have a listen to how funny this movie is. (laughs) The wonderful, lovable playboy is back. Hello, my beauty. He's Arthur. We were happy, weren't we? Oh, sure we were. Then we met. Arthur's just lost $750 million. Hi, honey. We're poor. Arthur 2 on the rocks. What can make me feel this way? Myself. 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 Dorothy mentioned Liza and Betty as they were both famously outspoken about their addictions and how to help those struggling with them. From 1992 to 2015, Liza went to rehab five times and participated in Alcoholics Anonymous. She has currently been sober almost 10 years now. Good job, Liza. Betty Ford made rehab famous as she founded one of the most successful rehabs, the Betty Ford Center. She founded the center in 1982 after dealing with her own medication and alcohol addictions. Blanche once again tells Rose that she needs help, but she's still in denial and all sorts of other stages and steps, so she'll just do it on her own, cold turkey. The expression cold turkey, according to Merriam-Webster, was first documented in 1910 when a paper said that a man lost money in a game cold turkey. So perhaps the cold, as in direct, and talk turkey, meaning to speak plainly, combined to form a synonym of sorts for outright. Since the mid-century, though, the meaning has changed to mean quitting something outright, especially drugs. It's believed it's used to reference the goosebumps and cold, clammy skin someone who is coming off of a hard drug, such as heroin, would experience. For example, if Rose was taking an opioid for her pain, she could experience withdrawal symptoms like insomnia, chills, memory issues, depression, irregular heart rate, breathing issues, anxiety, fatigue, body aches and pain, tummy and bathroom issues, sweating, heightened blood pressure, and we've already seen her irritability. For those who have gone through it, they say it's like a really, really bad flu. 
Though the withdrawal itself wouldn't kill you, such as it can with alcohol, the symptoms could. Dehydration or asphyxiation from vomit could lead to death. I hope you're enjoying our comedy show. After Rose begs for the girls to be at her side while she goes through withdrawals without medical attention, they agree to stick out the night with her. The moment makes Sophia sentimental towards the girls and their friendships. She muses how loving a friend means being there for them, sacrificing your own needs for theirs. She's moved, and she's moving on to bed. She'll get an update in the morning. Sitting on the couch, Blanche, still in her Keith Haring-inspired robe, he was that guy who had the silhouettes of people dancing around and the abstract shapes around them, and she's worried about being able to do right by Rose. Dorothy feels confident that they will get her through the night. They just have to keep her distracted from her addiction, something Sophia, who has changed her mind about missing out on the fun and is looking comfy in her big yellow robe, can help with. She'll just make a face on her hand and keep Rose's mind occupied for endless hours, a move most likely inspired by the comedian, ventriloquist, and plate spinner Wincasio Marino Centurino, better known as Senior Winces, and his hand puppet character, Johnny. Eight? Don't be nervous. What? You like it? Yeah. Finish? No finish. Finish? Not yet. No? No. Finish? Not yet. I say not yet. Not yet? Not yet. It's all right. All right, please. Since she had said she was going to bed, Dorothy is wondering what Sophia is doing up. There were no guards this time, but she does have to get up in an hour for her paper delivery route, and she wanted to get in a workout before she went. The real reason for her being awake is that Rose is like family, and she's worried about her. It's a sweet thought, although Dorothy is worried because they both have an early call time for their commercial shoot in the morning. Cheerfully entering the room, Rose invites everyone to play a round of Gblinkenschleicher, a confusing invite as Blanche thought they would be playing the capitalist-themed, friendship-ending Monopoly. The confusion is understood. Rose said they were going to play a similar game, which Gukenspleicher is, except that instead of streets in Atlantic City, New Jersey, the places are St. Olaf-themed. Not only are the streets named after her hometown, the entire game is, which is why the bank is empty, just like the real St. Olaf Bank. It wasn't broke because of a bad manager or a bank run. It's because the bank building itself was built on a marsh and it sank. Nothing survived but some papers and a chained pin. All Sophia can say is amazing. Not at the story, at the fact that even though it's the middle of the night and that that story was so dumb, she was able to remain patient. Amazing. Now it's time for the game. Going first, Dorothy draws a card. Her options are to buy the library or a phone booth. The obvious choice is to buy the library, but Rose suggests she doesn't. Of the two, the one that would get used and therefore make her money is the phone booth. You see, children, in the before times, phones were just around. Be it for weather, privacy, or safety, those that were in open spaces. They weren't on a wall inside of a building. They were inside of a booth. Phone booths have been in plenty of movies and TV shows, but never put to better use than in Dumb and Dumber. Get off the phone. Get off the phone. For Rose's turn, she lands on Lockenburton Avenue. With delight, she clears the board, claiming victory. The girls are left befuddled as to how she could win with one move after purchasing just one street. Well, it's because she purchased the only street in St. Olaf. 
Now she owns everything and will be destroying Dorothy's phone booth. With a reaction I've definitely given many times and every time I've played Monopoly, Dorothy stands up and starts shouting about how stupid and frustrating this game is. Before she can storm off for the night, Blanche's gentle touch to her arm reminds her that they are helping Rose. So stupid or not, Dorothy would be Go. happy to play all night. And with that, the game is reset. After they play, the girls have found their way to the kitchen table. Thankfully, they had a bunt cake available. Rose will pass, but Blanche is willing to give it a try. Her wording causes Sophia to go into one of her oh-yeah-right tirades. Try a bunt cake? Like you've never heard of such a thing? Like you've never tried one? Like the idea is so foreign to you? She goes a little too far when she growls, like you don't shovel it in by the pound every chance you get. Dorothy gives out a, ma, and Sophia comes back to her senses. After some awkward silence, except for the audience giggling, Rose declares that she has come to an end of her sobriety. She's starting to feel sick, and she knows that a pill would help. She can't go on without it anymore. Sternly, Dorothy tells her she can. They have a quick back and forth, but Rose is adamant. She's done. She needs them to stop trying to support her when they don't even know what she's feeling. Although Blanche hasn't been through dependency withdrawals, she can relate to having to quit something. And that something was sex. Not only did she fall off the wagon, she fell onto all of the men at a naval base. The term falling off the wagon, according to Wikipedia, goes back to the 1800s. Back then, water wagons were used to keep dust from being kicked up on the dirt roads. Since it was water, if you were sober or drinking water, you were on the wagon. If you fell off, you were using other liquids. It wasn't mentioned, but I'd like to think that it also meant if you were drinking while wagon driving, you would slip right off. The reason Blanche even attempted celibacy was because of George's passing. She didn't want to do it. It just seemed right. It's not like she was the one who died. Giving up on not giving it up was more due to emotions than physicality. She was fine with being intimate, but without George, she was vulnerable and scared. She stopped, but within a month, probably when she was ovulating after the loss, she got harney. After going on in her southern matter about how much she wanted to be ravaged, or as Dorothy said, to get some nookie, yeah! she met a man. He invited her to bed. She denied it, so Blanche called her sister for support. Well, her sister got in the car and went right over, grabbing and threatening the man that if he made another pass at Blanche, she would shoot him. When Dorothy is confused about Blanche's overzealous sister, it's then Blanche realizes that she left out one small detail of the story, which was that that man was actually her brother-in-law. Having had enough excitement, Sophia is really going to bed this time. Rose wants to join her. In fact, they might as well all go to bed. Dorothy is shocked that Rose would give up after going so far, but Rose isn't giving up. She wants to go to bed because they made it through the night and the sun is rising. The news fills the kitchen with cheers and claps. They are so proud of Rose and she is so thankful for their support. Support she'll be needing again if the lack of sleep continues. With barely any sleep, Dorothy and Sophia are off to the studio to shoot their commercial. Going inside the glamorous new location, we find a pizzeria set up. In the background is a counter, and over in the foreground are Dorothy in a yellow shirt and blue button-up, who is sitting next to Sophia, wearing a black dress with white dots and a white collar. After Cy gives them their scripts and they get the shoot all set up, Dorothy asks where to look. Cy tells her to not only look at the camera, 
but look at it with what was once dubbed at an old job of mine as bedroom eyes. With that direction, Dorothy gives it a shot and looks at the camera, more like she's angry with it or that maybe she's a vampire or she's hungry. So Sophia recommends Cy give directions that Dorothy can reference. The girls are being allowed one rehearsal, but that's show business, baby. After that, they're going to film for real. Action isn't called, but after Cy yells go, Dorothy starts too. Well, what is technically called acting, but right away, everyone, especially Sophia, realizes that she is not good at it. Not having held auditions, Cy seems nervous about his choice. He tells Dorothy to relax before calling for another run-through. This time, the girl playing the server is behind them. As Dorothy's hands lay across the table like she's going to reach through the lens, she tries again to tell her mother about this new pizzeria. Forgetting her line this time, the server, Heather, knows it and helps her out. Playing Heather is Nancy Black. She would also appear in The Great Santini, A Different World, The Trials of Rosie O'Neill, and Brides. Hearing the words of the script said out loud, Dorothy realizes why she's having a problem delivering the lines. She's an English teacher, and grammatically speaking, the line should be really good pizza. Or maybe perfect pizza with pizzazz. Thrilled with herself, and I love when Dorothy is overly confident when she shouldn't be, she helps herself to making some changes to the script. Inspired, Sai makes some changes of his own. With a quick cut, we see the change Sai has made, and it was to fire Dorothy as the lead and give her the job of pizza girl. As she stares down at the pie in embarrassment, Sai leads his new lead, Heather, as she pretends to be Sophia's granddaughter. Walking up to the table, Dorothy is still unable to act and slams the pizza down. After taking a bite of the pizza, Sophia starts to deliver her lines, but when the flavors and textures hit her mouth, she's done. Turns out Sophia had never tried the pizza before taping, and there is nothing they could say or do. Even the pay of a nationwide commercial cannot get her to vouch for crappy pizza. As a Sicilian, there are two things she will never do, lie about pizza or file her taxes. That's probably in relation to some famous Italians who wound up serving time, not so much for their mafia-related activities as their tax evasion. Oh! Her mind made up, Sophia leaves Dorothy, Heather, and Cy in her dust. Coming into the kitchen, Dorothy, in a periwinkle sweater over a yellow shirt, runs up to Rose in her white sweater with pink roses, who has popped something in her mouth and is following it up with some water. Worried her friend is back to using the pills, Dorothy demands Rose spits it out. Dorothy doesn't want to hear Rose's excuses. She wants the pill. Looking at it, once it's spit into her hand, Dorothy can tell that it's not a pill. It's actually a Flintstone vitamin, the Fred one specifically. They're also chewable, so I'm not really sure why Rose was swallowing it, but she is Rose, so. Oh man, just thinking about the sourness of those vitamins makes my glands hurt. Flintstones, with the vitamins and minerals kids need and the taste they love. Now that's what I call complete. And growing. Dorothy apologizes for judging Rose, but she doesn't need to. Rose fell off the wagon and took a pill the night before. With frustration and judgment, Dorothy is upset that Rose was able to get through the first night, only to throw it all away the next. Rose understands why she's upset, but she needs Dorothy to understand that no matter how strong their support is of her, her addiction to the pills is stronger than that. 
When Dorothy offers to call the rehab center, Rose declines. She knows the first step for her recovery is to call the facility herself. Right then and there, Rose picks up the phone, and with Dorothy looking on, she makes the call. Fast forward a month, and it's time for Rose to come home from the hospital. Dorothy, in her long mint green button-up shirt with her long grandma's white-with-flowers wallpaper vest, is on the receiving end of a story from Blanche, who is looking her most contemporary yet with her outfit of a light purple jumpsuit or possible flowing blouse and pants and a structured yet flowing jacket of lines and shapes. It's a lot, and probably for the best, we don't see it again. I think Coco surmised it perfectly with calling it... Zach Morris's shower curtain. Mm Mm-hmm. Perfect. Thank you. Or his comforter. (laughs) Blanche's story is inspired by her nerves surrounding Rose's return. What if all that time away or her sobriety has made her a different person? She knows this can happen because it once happened to her when she went to beauty camp. Before she left, she was thin and geeky. Sophia finds the thin part hard to believe. Boo, you're body shaming, Sophia. Before we can hear about whatever changes Blanche experienced, Rose opens the door and comes in with her luggage, but less baggage. In a light pink skirt and shirt and a light and dark striped sweater, she is elated to be back. The girls are just as happy that she's cured, but she corrects them. And accurately, she's never going to be cured. She is an addict and she always will be, even if she never takes another pill again. She's going to have to take things one day at a time. Sophia is just as happy to hear that Rose got that monkey off of her back. That term goes back to around the 1850s. It was first used to refer to someone who was cranky, but due to an Aesop fable about a monkey riding a dolphin's back, the usage changed to mean an addiction, the monkey being said addiction. The phrase, to no one's surprise, confuses Rose. She never had a monkey. She did have a chicken she named Gordon. She goes on about her chicken, who could cluck show tunes like those done by Gilbert and Sullivan, who made music for shows like the Pirates of Penzance. The girls look at each other. They're annoyed, but happy to see that their old, but now healthy, Rose is back. Coco, what were your thoughts on this episode? Because, you know, on paper and for the time, it does have a little bit of that very after-school special theme. But for it being the height of the war on drugs and crack baby fear-mongering, I think the girls approach the subject probably in one of the most real ways I've ever seen, especially for a sitcom. And it was truly different to me because of the age of everyone involved. Mm -hmm. Usually, at least back then, dare to say no to drugs and all that stuff. It was always kids, always young people. Yeah, or they would just bring in some random character that had never been on the show and suddenly they're an addict and they have to fix them. Yeah, I met this kid down at the park and he came in and he stole from me because he needs money for drugs. Because he's on drugs. It's scary. I was really pleased that none of the girls were having a freak out about it. Mm-hmm. They just took it. And that's what I was saying when we, when we were watching it before we recorded that they have so much age and wisdom among them that they knew that this is one of those things that they will get through. Mm. They probably had a lot of nights like that over the course of their lives where it's like, we just have to get through the night. Yeah. And so they banded together and did that. And I, and I, and I, I really loved that at first Sophia abandoned them yeah. and then came back. <laughs> I felt that the pizza stuff was tacked on maybe to make the episode round out to a full episode. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was funny, but it didn't seem necessary. 
Yeah, I liked what you were saying, how that could have been its own episode. Yeah, it could have been a bottle episode where they're just, uh, yeah, Dorothy just and Sophia Just them all trying to be there. famous. Blanche is yeah. flirting with some... Oh, yeah, have them all there? Uh, oh, yeah. Stagehands, yeah. It, that wouldn't, that could have been great, yeah. But yeah, it just kind of wasn't flat. It was just sort of just there. But yeah, I do appreciate it. And they were able to, I feel like a lot of shows either didn't know how or were too scared to approach the subject while finding ways to laugh at it. And they never pretended that the one night was going to cure everything. Oh, yeah. That was the first part. And the second part, she took on her own to call. Right. And that was great, too. That was great to see that, mm -hmm. to have a character that you can, I mean, whatever Rose is, but she's a, she's a good person and a, and a kind person and a thoughtful person. And, yeah. And, and I she think was relatable. Able to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. That could a, be your grandmother. That could yep. be your teacher. That could be your mom's friend or your own friend or you. Like everyone loves Rose and I really like that they picked her because she's the naive one. She's the most lovable one. She's never said anything rude to anyone. So how about your and burbles? The sins per se of maybe Dorothy or Blanche. You know, Dorothy is kind of aggressive or, you know, she's so... And she's from the big city. Yeah, and she's from Brooklyn. So of course she'd be on drugs or Blanche is a slut. So... Of course she would do that, you know? So I, I like that they purposely chose the least expected person because it's not likely because it can be anyone, especially with medication like that. And so to pick the one you would not expect and it's like, well, does that change it for you now? Are you going to judge Rose? Do you think less of Rose? Do you not love Rose anymore? And they really made it where it would translate, whereas other shows I feel like were so serious and so scary about it. Preachy preachy yeah that it was just to scare you it was just for the kids watching to be scared or the people the adults that were watching that already were like clutching their pearls and so that wasn't doing anything where this was like a walkthrough of how to do an intervention of how to talk to a friend with an addiction issue and what those steps are because it's not helpful <laughs> yeah if it's the skater kid from the neighborhood comes in the house and oh we took care of it I feel like those always wrapped up. You know, it was just like, oh, we took care of it. They're fine now. It's like, what'd you do? How did how did that happen? It was smart, too, to have the jump forward a month mm -hmm. to see that as well. Yeah, she went to rehab. Rose has been in rehab, and she is an addict forever. And, they, yeah, they didn't judge her, mm -mm. and they didn't change anything about the living, you know, situation, mm -hmm. probably other than, you know, keeping it in their mind. Yeah. But it, they showed a lot of love, and I really appreciate that. Yeah. Because that really would be cool. tough to have any sort of uh, struggle like that. Yeah. God, especially as an old person. Because then, oh yeah, it's hard. It's it's sometimes harder to change when you're when you get older. Well, yeah, she's and been on those pills like half that. her life. This episode is such a breath of fresh air when it comes to portraying someone with an addiction issue. Rose isn't unable to keep a job. She isn't a drain on society. She's a grief counselor. She pays her rent. Her friends of five years didn't even know she had an issue. So at a time when the news was all about keeping people scared of those people that are on all of those drugs or all of these crack babies who are being born to these horrible mothers, or when our current president said this about users long before the conversation was about addiction being a health issue. In line with what the president is calling for, we have to hold every drug user accountable. Because if there were no, uh, no drug users, there would be no appetite for drugs and there'd be no market for them. Appreciation is owed to the girls, the writers, and producers for presenting a regular household woman, a woman who was seen as everyone's friend, as someone who also had an addiction. 
She was shown love, support, and given resources, something all addicts can use. Who knows how many people were actually inspired to call for help because of how Rose presented addiction. Sadly, in all of these years, not much has changed, except there is a little less stigma towards those with addiction and a little more responsibility being held to those making these addictive substances. Fingers crossed, we'll see how the Supreme Court rules on the Sackler family being sued. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, be like Rose and take that first step. Help is always available at 1-800-662-4357. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we meet more members of the Lindstrom family in Little Sister. Even though Sophia and Dorothy have a pizza commercial to shoot in the morning, they're happy. (laughs) But it's someone saying, oh, it's from Renaissance Man. I think it's from Renaissance Man, the Danny DeVito, Mark Wahlberg movie. Mm, Of course. Just (laughs) chop out the next minute or so. (laughs) And may God have mercy on my soul. (laughs) Lil plop whoop, plop whoopsie. Gross. This joke is most likely in reference to, as Coco pointed out, the story of Don Don Gillinger. (laughs) Oh, really? Because it was large, yeah. So that's why I as if I don't have things to do, now I got a penis. Is it true what they say about John Dillinger? Smithsonian has a file of letters of citizens who wrote in asking about his penis. To settle arguments or settle bets. <laughs> he didn't have to use that soap as the gun. <laughs> Just put some shoe polish. Oh, okay. On so the old ding dong. The uh, rumors began after a photo from his autopsy, like a morgue photo, came out, and there's a tint at his loins uh, that looks about a foot above his body. Yeah, I don't think it's anything, and it's not in a museum. My God. You've been duped. I've been sold a false bill of goods. <laughs> Cut false this out. False wiener of goods. Damn it. I'm sorry to crush I your dream. I don't care! You seem like you might. <laughs> I'm dying now! Well, I'm not going to do any research about this. And I'm just <laughs> going to keep say, on loving him. I'm going to keep on loving him. <laughs> I denounce him. Oh, my God. I forgot about all that acapella and everything. I put it on. I was like, whoa. Throwback. Acapella. Oh, my God. What? A, just a family of piles of trash. <laughs> and now they're busted. Big time. It's over, guys. You like that, guys? 40 years later? Take that. Plot is apparently about trying to get a baby. Get a baby? Well, adopt a baby. Oh, okay. That's different. Well, you know. Acquire. <laughs> mm, sounds that sounds sketchy. You know what I'm trying to say. Oh my god! I have to play. Now look at me. I have my own tail. I have my own squeegee sponge. I showed them all. Did you catch that? No. <laughs> all geographic information was accurate as of the date this program was recorded. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. 
Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.